He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. I remember thinking two things when he punched me, one of which was, oh man, I'm going to be really late for work. But the other thing was, what did he mean about the United Nations? For most New Zealanders, political violence has always been something that happens in another country. There weren't normal screams then. They were right panicking. And then like when we looked down the road, there was a woman laid on the floor. Now, as we embark upon an election campaign, it's a clear and present danger in Aotearoa. I don't think I have a day here where I don't have threats and attacks. You give up reporting them. I, I, I live with security cameras on my house, nearly every angle you can come in. I think it is a very real threat. Miss and disinformation is rampant across online spaces, with the 2023 election campaign coming into view. It's even seeped into mainstream media like RNZ. It frequently fans racism, sexism, anti-Semitism. The list goes on. It ferments hatred and division. Experts, community leaders, and even people who've been active players in conspiracy theory networks are really worried about where it's taking us. There are the physical threats and violent acts, and then there is the corrosive impact on our democracy. Does anyone know what they're voting for anymore? If I had continued to believe what I was invited to believe, it was going to become a whole way of life of protests, of fear, of spreading misinformation. Who can you even trust if you can't rely on your own close family members? Whether it be in a family event or, or elsewhere, he's saying horrible things. It's uncomfortable. We want no part of that. We don't want any part of that at all, but you're father to these kids, right? So you're inevitably tied to us as a family. I'm Susie Ferguson, and this is Undercurrent, an RNZ documentary series on disinformation. This is episode one, The Landscape. I think it's a blow, um, and we're responding as well as we can and as openly as we can. Well, this is awkward. In the final days before we published this series, as we were compiling the episodes and making the final edits, news broke that RNZ itself had been caught up in publishing disinformation. Revelations emerged that an RNZ journalist had altered copy from respected news outlets, including Reuters and the BBC, to include, amongst other things pro-Russian propaganda about the war in Ukraine and had added in false information. Fake news. RNZ's chief exec and editor-in-chief, Paul Thompson, spoke on the station's nine-to-noon show. The really sad thing is how much great work that we do. Um, The best part of working at RNZ is the fierceness with which we defend our editorial standards and it's galling that the activity in a very small area of the organisation can affect us all. I'm really angry and I'm shocked and appalled and feel betrayed actually about what's happened, but also we're going to be upfront about it. This series makes no attempt to sweep it under the carpet. In fact, we'll talk more about it in a bonus episode to be released after the planned seven episodes of the original series are out. 
And this series hasn't been made in response to these revelations. There's no attempt to whitewash them. Indeed, I first started working on Undercurrent in October 2022. And this episode's called The Landscape, right? And this is part of the landscape now, however uncomfortable that might be. Especially for RNZ, the public broadcaster I've worked for for 13 years is at the centre of this scandal, just as we publish a documentary series about disinformation. Perhaps you didn't think disinformation was that big a deal. It is now. I can show you some stuff. Mm. Yeah. What kind of stuff do you want to see? What is there? I can show you, for example. OK. A small room in Otipoti, Dunedin, not far from the clock tower, and Ophiel, the water of Leith. One of the curtains is hanging loose from the rail. I'm with... Sanjana Hattatua. Right now I'm a research fellow at the Disinformation Project. Sanjana is giving me a guided tour of... The Dantian hellscape of toxicity and harm and violence. Of Telegram. Well, he's one of several. Another is Dylan Reeve. I grew up in the internet. He's a filmmaker and writer and author of Fake Believe, Conspiracy Theories in Aotearoa. So originally it was just a messaging platform, like, you know, it was like WhatsApp or, or Facebook Messenger or whatever. But in the intervening years, it's growing and growing. And so now you can have channels and you can have um, chat groups and you can have live streaming videos and, and all sorts of things like that. Telegram is free. It was founded by billionaire Russian brothers and has little regulation or moderation. It was one of the key communication tools for the thousands of people who rallied at the occupation of New Zealand's parliament in February and March last year. If you are on parliament ground, you are trespassing. In the weeks and months after the protests, when some groups or individuals were kicked off more mainstream sites like Facebook for violating Meta's terms, Telegram was one of the main social media apps they migrated to and urged their followers to join. You just need a phone number to set up and then you're in and you can follow anyone you want to follow. You can follow any of the local or global sort of conspiracy influences that you're interested in and sort of, you know, they'll post links to other places and, you know, in just a short matter of time you'll be following, you know, thousands of people, interacting with thousands of people on the internet about, you know, whatever sort of conspiratorial ideas you're into. The third person showing me round Telegram is, well, we'll call her Midi. So you've got your phone in your hand. Yeah, it's all happening on Telegram. The birds are singing when we meet, even though the rain's coming down. There's a lot of content generation in New Zealand. That's not her real voice either. We've disguised it because she's from Fact Aotearoa, a group committed to fighting against harmful conspiracy theories and is undercover within groups on Telegram. So, okay, so this is pictures of women, um, so you would be, a man would be urinating into a woman's mouth. That's right, yeah, yeah. And that's one of the tamer posts I've seen. Miri scrolls through, seeing memes demonising Dame Jacinda Ardern, graphic racism against Māori, including Cabinet Minister Nanaya Mahuta and other MPs. We can't give many details of the posts because of the explicit language Rape threats, dehumanising violence and cruelty, referencing insects and spiders, and white supremacy, including the Ku Klux Klan. And there's also anti-Semitism. And so here we have 
a face is being superimposed onto a really creepy person who's crawling out of a TV, and so there's a you know there's a Jew's face there. And crawling out of a, out of CNN. Yeah, right. Actually, yes, good point. And this is a really kind of caricature, um, you know, a very obviously kind of propaganda Jewish face that we're talking about that's being used here. Yeah, and then this is really disturbing. It's a it's a picture of a whole lot of people, um, and there's a Jewish man who's who's pooing into a pool and it's called, you know, the caption was um, the Jews are crapping into the, into the European gene pool. And then all sorts of other kind of, again, sort of grotesquely stylized um, African people, Asian people. Yeah, um, yeah, gollywogs. Um, what else have we got? Uh, this is really awful. It's the alien, you know, from that original alien movie and it is... Uh, there's a, a person that's lying there and it says Christian on their shirt and then there's the alien which is on their face and is smothering them. We both know that, that um, it actually consumes the, the body and that's Judeo is written on the cross, the alien. These are some of the darker recesses of social media that Miri, Sanjana and Dylan study. Many of the accounts posting these things have thousands of subscribers. And hundreds of thousands of New Zealanders are viewing, making or disseminating disinformation on any given day. There's an important distinction to understand about dis and misinformation. Disinformation is stuff that's wrong and that's been made with malicious intent. People who create disinformation, they know what they're doing. Misinformation is stuff that's wrong but that wasn't made specifically to do harm. And people who create misinformation may not know they've got it wrong. Both are harmful. Both are a problem. And both are part of a network that's large and complex. Imagine, Sanjana says, a photo of the night sky taken by the Hubble telescope. You see certain stars shining brightly. And you see galaxies and constellations. You see gravitational effects. You see solar systems. And what appears to be faint when you zoom in has its own constellation. And so that is, again, exactly like what we see the ecology to be, where um, what would be prima facie a weaker link or node or account or network is actually quite important because it links to a community that might not be immediately associated with that bright star. Um, and that kind of gives you an idea of cross-pollination, the degree to which ideology or misbelief or um, violent forms of extremism or disinformation go from one network to the other. For many people, the pandemic was the start, with internet usage surging during lockdowns. Some channels and groups mimic the circadian rhythm of mainstream media with posts for the morning when you first check in, a lunchtime offering and then more at drive time. But how did we go from disparate groups and many protesting against Covid vaccine mandates brought together on Parliament's lawns to people being exposed and in some cases radicalised in violent extremism? And everything mixes together, right? This is a, a, a telegram group, which also exists on Facebook, that started out of, you know, the COVID conspiracy theory stuff. And here we're, sped, we're sending the idea of satanic stuff, pedophile stuff, Freemasonry, 
and transgender issues all in all in one. It's got a lot on the bingo card in one. It really does, and that's a really fascinating part of this is that they they all just kind of merge into one. Like the people who were protesting about vaccines a year and a half ago are now protesting about transgender access to bathrooms. Like they're not connected, but once you're in this space of conspiracy outrage, everything's connected. What Dylan's describing is called community bridging, where people connect on one issue, say COVID denial or vaccine hesitancy, where they establish and then grow trust before the conversation shifts and overlaps into other issues. This happened offline, in real life too, down at the parliamentary protests, where communities were forged. Posts and content, whether that's videos, GIFs, images like memes or text are shared across different groups called cross-posting, where people in one group are exposed to and can then be drawn into other ideologies. So this is, you know, this is a cross-post from a neo-Nazi group. Uh, so this, this page here, that's a cross-post uh, going into this group, which is much more moderate. So people... Go in with one interest and... In a very short order, you'll be seeing content that expands well beyond your frame of interest. Harms against um, transgender, queer, um, explicit Russian propaganda targeting uh, Zelensky and Ukraine and promoting a pro-Kremlin message, um, climate change denialism, um, Islamophobia, xenophobia, racism, racism against also the Maori, misogyny, sexism, rape-adjacent uh, frames, incel frames, white supremacist frames, and basically undergirded by toxic masculinity and this notion of the alpha male. And we've only looked at what's open source, public, so no private pages or messages. The problem is that in 2023, the nature of the beast is hydra-headed. They are discoverable, they are freely accessible. They hop like a frog would in a pond. They hop from Facebook to Twitter to TikTok to Telegram to YouTube and they keep hopping. What is the impact on our rangatahi? What is the impact on our children, on our grandchildren? There is no cost associated financially or otherwise with accessing this content. Um, there is no guardrail, there is no blurring of the content if it's uh, in photographic or video form. Uh, there is no warning that presents itself. There's nothing. Half of the people in a recent survey for NetSafe say they saw or heard misinformation every day. Four out of five saw it weekly and over 90% saw it monthly. Let those stats sink in. And we're coming across it on social media. That's where over three quarters of people say they saw misinformation, with our internet use skyrocketing over the pandemic. And NetSafe says two-thirds of people think it will have a significant impact on the election. I'm meeting Kate Hanna, who's the director of the Disinformation Project. Oh, it must be this one here. People have valid concerns about their place in the world. But when they are exposed to false information that's directing them towards blaming another group of people for their own sense of fear and insecurity, that is when we start getting into places that can become quite harmful for our sense of community in New Zealand. I've been talking with Kate Hanna across months for this series. 
She spends her life researching disinformation. And this is one of the things she keeps returning to. I remember last year you talked about being worried about a Joe Cox moment. Yeah. Is that still there for you? Absolutely. Joe Cox was an MP in the UK. In June 2016, she was shot and stabbed to death, murdered in broad daylight by a far-right activist, a white supremacist. But people have been whipped into a frenzy and there is rhetoric of acceleration. And all of those are designed to find a home in the brain of somebody who will then operate it. And I think Rebecca Kittredge... That's the former head of New Zealand's Secret Intelligence Service. Rebecca Kittredge talks about um, a knife, a car or a gun, all of which are things that people have easy access to in New Zealand. And we will see somebody hurt... It's not the people that the police know about that are the people I worry about. It's the people that the police don't know about. And it will be a situation quite similar to the Christchurch terrorist where it will be somebody who has been on the periphery of these movements for quite some time and who is preparing and waiting and will find their moment. Um, That's terrifying. It is terrifying. I don't really know what to say to that. No, I I don't really know how to deal with living in this world, that this is the world that we live in. Um, these are the times that we are living in, and so the only thing I can do about it is talk about how that's what I think is going to happen. Thank you so much for your time today um, and for oh making the technology work with Zoom. That's always fantastic. I've always got time for New Zealand and the people of New Zealand. This is Joe Cox's sister. So it's Kim Ledbeater and I am now the Member of Parliament for Batley and Spen. Her sister's old electorate. Unfortunately, I'm not sure we're in a, a much better place when it comes to civility in public life and toxicity in politics. And, and, and as we know, as a family to our cost, it only takes one individual to not be able to see the difference between getting frustrated on social media and shouting and screaming and being angry and and using violent language to that actually becoming an act of violence. And whilst there's a huge amount of abuse faced by politicians online, sadly, there is quite a lot of abuse faced by politicians offline as well. That's happened in New Zealand too. The day before the Christchurch mosque massacres in 2019... Well, I was walking to work uh, and I was listening to Spotify uh, on my headphones um, and then I just heard someone behind me uh, calling my name, so I turned around and took my headphones off uh, and this guy said um, you know, that he just wanted to uh, talk to me. Co-leader of the Green Party, James Shaw. And then he looked at me very intently and said, you need to stop what you're doing at the United Nations or with the United Nations. And then he grabbed me by the lapel and said, you know, you need to uh, listen to me. And I said, um, you're, this is a, actually assault. You need to, you know, stop. Uh, and then he um, punched me repeatedly and I fell over. He's the only sitting MP who's been violently assaulted and the attacker prosecuted. I think there's this weird 
moment of time kind of both dilating and expanding simultaneously. So I was thinking lots of different things. The thing I remember thinking, I think I, I remember thinking two things when he punched me, one of which was, oh man, I'm going to be really late for work. Uh, and I had a couple of cabinet papers to take up. So I was really quite stressed about that. Um, and But the other thing was, what did he mean about the United Nations? And I thought that there were kind of two possibilities, um, you know, one of which was, in my role as climate change minister, there is this kind of group of people who, you know, the Agenda 21 conspiracy and this idea that climate change is a conspiracy to take over the world. And But the other one was that more recently, over the summer, there'd been, um, you know, a whole bunch of stuff on social media about the United Nations Migration Pact, sort of kicked off at Russian troll farms the previous late the previous year. It had had a very big impact in Europe, um, and I'd actually seen some of it in mainstream political discourse here, and I just wondered if it was to do with that. Funny thing, I was, I was kind of thinking all of that while I was getting punched, which is sort of an odd thing. The man who attacked James Shaw was jailed for nine months. Paul Harris also took part in the parliamentary protests and was convicted of disorderly behaviour after showing up at Kokere Marae in Wainui Omata, one of a group thought to be trying to find new areas to regroup after the riot. The assault had a lasting effect. I was having coffee maybe a month or two later with a friend of mine in town and uh, over his shoulder there was someone who kind of sat down and was looking at me and kind of behaving a bit twitchily and I really felt a you know, quite a spike. I think that was fright um, uh, in that moment. And I think, yeah, so I guess I was on a a heightened level of alert uh, for quite a long time and and pretty twitchy. He and other MPs have had to ramp up security precautions. Kate Hanna from the Disinformation Project talks about there being an, in quotes, Joe Cox moment. Does it feel to you like... That's the sort of territory that New Zealand is shifting into where that could be a potential? Yes, yes. I think that that's, I think there's potential for that. I've had ministerial colleagues tell me that they just can't go out anymore in public at all because they're so worried about, you know, cause, because when they do, invariably, they'll have, you know, somebody uh, kind of bowl up to them without necessarily getting physically violent, certainly being abusive and, you know, stopping them kind of going about their business. So I think it's a fairly short uh, jump from there to physical assault. What are your thoughts then um, on going into the election with that as a piece of the backdrop? I have been increasingly worried about the kind of fragility of our democracy, especially when you look at what's gone on in the United Kingdom, the United States and other countries uh, where um, this kind of social media fueled frenzy um, has actually had a destabilising effect on democracy. And I don't think that we're immune to that at all. And there's clearly some common links and, and trends here. And these things often show up in New Zealand maybe a couple of years behind other parts of the world and we would be about right on time for that. So I'm really worried. 
next time on Undercurrent. People are saying this country is white, this country is British, and I'm now talking about New Zealand. Why are we adopting all of these policies to recognise the rainbow community, the trans community, gender rights or ethnic and indigenous rights in New Zealand? Hundreds of thousands of New Zealanders are exposed to mis- and disinformation every day. Much of it's connected across a large, complex network. And where is it taking us? And if you do challenge them, then you kind of get this social justice diatribe coming back at you, or, or humour to deflect. So they're very hard to nail on some of their rhetoric, um, which is the point. Undercurrent is an RNZ series created, produced and presented by me, Susie Ferguson. It was written by Susie Ferguson and John Hartfelt. It features the voices of Vivian Bell, Richard Chapman, Francesca Ems and Carmel McGlone, produced with Duncan Smith. The studio engineer is William Saunders. The executive editor is John Hartfelt. For more information and resources, visit our website, rnz.co.nz slash undercurrent. Thank you.